bringing their problems to me for as long as I can remember. I have one of those faces that just says, tell me what's going on. And now I have one of those podcasts that says, go ahead, tell me what's going on. Welcome to Mess in Progress. Hey guys, welcome to Mess in Progress with myself, Jay Real, and my lovely co-host slash everything for Catherine G. Mendoza. Catherine, say hi to the people. Hello, people. Hello, people. What was my hellos are sinister. Yeah. I feel like they, they, that should have come with like an evil laugh. Like, hello, people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> it's always the evil laugh go to, but it just did. <laughs> Speaking of evil, Girl, so yes. everyone has, I mean, I would assume everyone has seen this. If you haven't, just Twitter, Google it, Instagram, Facebook. At this point, it's everywhere. It's these two little girls in Brazil. It's a video that came out recently of a two little girls at a birthday party. Now, the birthday girl is three years old, and the other girl roughly six, seven, maybe? I'm going to assume. I'm making an assumption. And they're blowing out the three-year-old's candles, and the older one blows it out first and then gets her butt kicked. Like, yeah. she got, she got yoked. By the yeah, she got yoked by the little one. And let me just tell you right now, bravo for that little girl. Because let me tell you something. If that was my child, if that was my daughter, and you had the nerves to blow out her candles, I'm going to let her beat your ass. I'm going to let her beat your ass. Whether you are a friend or not, you're going to get your ass beat. I don't care if your parents have a problem with it. Because let me tell you something. Somebody, I don't know if that little girl was related to the other little girl. I don't know the story. If she was just apparently they're asked, sisters, apparently. Okay, so first of all, regardless, sisters are not sisters. You get yoked up. Why? Because there's consequences for your actions. You want to go ahead and you want to do that. You get yoked up. That's just that's just how it is. But they pulled them apart, and I was like, nah, let that little girl get her ass beat. Let her get her ass fully beat. See, I'm I'm here with you, but um, like I saw a whole bunch of tweets that kept saying things like, yo. That little girl who blew out the candle is so evil. Like there's something wrong with her because she kept smiling even after she got her ass beat. Right? She didn't like fully get her ass beat. That's what I'm saying. Like the little girl yoked no. her up, but she should have got her but ass beat. But she yoked her twice and she still was smiling a little too much for a girl who got her hair pulled. Like any girl knows that when you get your hair pulled, nobody walks out of that like <laughs> twice. Your eyes water, you freaking like yes. it's, it's brutal. Or you get tight. Right, because what you did, you wanted a reaction so that you could get into a fight. She didn't want to get into the fight. She wanted to get into that other girl's head. She wanted to piss her off. That's what she was smiling about. So I'm like, I would have let, her, like once I saw the first one, yes, I wouldn't have been upset like at when she came for the second round and got her hair. But as a parent, um, if I would have seen that that little girl was smiling, I would have yoked her out of the way of the other girl. Like you, I don't know if you've seen this other video. It's um a proposal. And like, there's these two people having a, a romantic proposal and there's a little kid just walking in and you see a random hand just grab him, like yoke the hell out of his shirt. That's what I would have done to the little girl. Uh -huh. I, I don't care whether I was a parent or not, got her away from the other girl and relit the candle. Cause first we're gonna not ruin your moment. It was still your yeah. birthday moment. So I'm gonna give you that back. And then number two, I'm yoking the little girl because that little girl's looking at the second little girl and her intention was to piss her off. But now an adult is coming in and being like, no, eso no se hace. This is not what we do here. You know what I mean? Whether you put that girl on a timeout, whether you now kick the, the hell out of the party. Does the adult beat this little girl's ass? 
I mean, it all depends on the girl's parent, right? Like everybody has their own way of parenting. Because it's hard for me to imagine hitting a child, but if I saw that done to my son Mm -hmm. and you as a parent do not yoke the shit out of your child Mm -hmm. and either, I mean, I literally want to see What if they're both your children? I want to see tears. I want to see tears from that other child. What if they're both your children? I want to see tears of sorrow from that other child. I want to see that. I want to see you feel bad. I want to see you feel remorse. I want to see you be embarrassed. I want to see you learn that in that moment, you messed up because you tried to take somebody's moment and you got your ass beat. You got yoked up and you deserved it. So here's how I look at it, because I have many different, um, you know, I grew up with a version of corporal punishment because I come from um, immigrant parents and I come from a very old school way of thinking, meaning that was how I was raised. Now, I'm not necessarily advocating for that, but I'm not advocating against it. Once again, I would yoke them kind of like a kitty from like the shirt. You know what I mean? Like it would be like, like right from the neck of the shirt and bring them to the side. Now, we are in public in front of other people. So me personally, I would not hit the kid. I don't, first off, if they're not my kid, I'm not hitting the kid. But if they are my kid. Spank a kid. No, I would not hit the kid. kid. No. I'm talking about spank a kid, which I've seen very rarely in public. Yeah, exactly. But that's the point. In this moment, it's in public, right? What happens at home happens at home. And I'm not advocating or not advocating. I'm saying me personally in public would not hit my kid. Because that's leading for an exciting, first off, I'm taking away from the birthday girl, like meaning in that entire debacle. But what you just said, I'm here for, embarrassing. Because that little girl has no remorse. It was not only seen the first time she got yoked, it was seen the second time she had got yoked. So she's not going to cry because of remorse, but she will cry because of uncomfortability and embarrassment. And that is what I would do. I would take her to a corner and I would be like, why did you do that? And you know, a lot of people have that against, like have something against parents, like speaking sternly, but I would be like, no, 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 I need an explanation. If they want to sit there in silence, I'm going to do this with you for two to three minutes. You want to sit there in silence, then you're going to sit there and you're not going to get cake. You're not, you're going to watch everybody enjoy the party. I'm going to make you pay somehow in this party without hitting you there's consequences that's what 100%, i would be percent that little girl needs more discipline 100 percent. because as a child i'm thinking back to my childhood i would never never but you know what's funny like that i i did have a friend on twitter who um sent the video to her mother and her mother responds oh it made me laugh because that was you as a kid and my, fr- and my friend didn't remember she was like that. She was like, oh my God, like, I'm sorry to all of my brothers and sisters who I did that to. And I said to her, older brothers or sisters or younger? She said, apparently both. Dang. And I w- Right. So I go, interesting, because what is it about that kid? It's not always discipline. It's also empathy. It's also jealousy. It's also what was happening between those two kids prior to the happy birthday moment, right? Like they could have gotten into a fight over, I don't know, playing musical chairs. Like it, things like that happen. I think it's the empathy I'm more concerned with. It's not really the discipline because you could discipline an unempathetic kid to the day they die and they don't care. Like, yeah. You know, well, that speaks to a bigger problem. Like if she's not an empathetic person, like the little girl to me, 
came across as a brat. Like that's just how she came across. Like she came across as a brat. And when I see a brat, I can't help it. Even before I was a mom, but be like, yo, someone need to grip that child up and teach her that there are consequences. She needs to learn that there are consequences. Cause to me, she came across as the kind of kid that very rarely ever gets in trouble for doing stuff mm. like that. Like people laugh it off. That's why she thinks it's funny. It's like right. when I was with my ex, um, they do this thing. And I, I think we've talked about it before. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast before, but where in a lot of Latino cultures, when you get your birthday cake, they'll put your face in it. Yeah. La, la mordida. La, yeah. Something like that. And I hate that so much because it teaches such disrespect to little kids when they see that done and they think that it's okay because adults are laughing. Mm -hmm. And then when they act out, because you taught them to act out, you get mad when they act out, but you taught them to be disrespectful like that. So that's on you. Right. That's on you. My son will never, ever, ever do that. I will never do that to him. I will never disrespect him like that. I will never right. teach you to disrespect others like that. Like right, which is why, joke, but that's how little girls like that get away with stuff. And I think that's the context we're missing in this video. We don't know whether that's the situation, or there are a lot of parents who be like, um, yo no sé por qué ella hizo eso, yo no le enseñé eso. Like there are situations where the parents aren't teaching them that, and those children are just lacking empathy. Like, you know what I mean? I think that's the I think you need to gauge what the situation is with that specific child. Mm -hmm. So if it's your child gauge what your child's situation is. If it's your child who's dealing with a child like this, once again, gauge the situation of the kids you're keeping around your children. Like, because that's the thing. If they weren't sisters, why was that little girl invited to this girl's party? If, she if be they weren't like sisters, that? why is any of that happening without an adult stepping in? Why is any of that happening? Of happening? Like, right. why is that the little girl's mom stepping in? Because all I could think the whole time is if that was Jaden, if that was my son, and I saw somebody do that to my son and upset him and take his moment, it's going to be really hard for me as a mom not to get in somebody's face about that if I see that. Like, right. it's going to be well, really even, hard. Again, if it, and if it is your child, you would still, because it's about fairness. Yeah, it's 100% right? like, about fairness. Um, right, because if it's your... Here, she's right on time, right. too, or yes, you can. She really is. Uh, we have a very special guest today. Um, uh, I want to just bring her on because there's a lot to discuss with everything that she does. So I want to introduce actor, activist, and writer Andrea Losell. I hope I'm I hope I'm saying her name right. We're gonna find out in a minute. I'm saying yeah. Name. Andrea, 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 Andrea. Oh, I don't know. All right, we're gonna find out. Okay. All right, we're gonna let her in right now, and hopefully we'll get a picture soon. <laughs> I never know with Zoom. I'm always like, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Yay. Andrea? Andrea? Oh, hi! hi. <laughs> we were just, oh my God, I love your earrings. Um, oh, thank you. We were just talking about whether or not I said your name correctly. Andrea LaSalle? Yeah, I, I have a bad habit. I will answer to like anything. Like you can whistle, you can make a sound and I'll still like respond <laughs> as if that's my name. And I, I shouldn't do that, but because oh, my kidding? dad usually my dad has uh all all he has six kids all together and I'm the baby and so he just goes oh yeah that's so and I'm like what because he can't remember our names and stuff so I'm just like okay <laughs> he just responds to anything so which is, I mean gosh I'm from New York anytime somebody says you're I'm like yes how can I help you and my parents are <laughs> New Yorkers so yeah. then I'm a Floridian but like 
I have the mentality of them. So I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, I'll just, any, I heard a sound. Let me just turn. I heard a sound. But then when I, but then like, it helps when I'm out in LA because then when we could walk around, I have such a mean, like my dad gave me the mean like mug look when I'm walking around. But then I'm so tiny that that really doesn't stop anyone at that point because they still get like these dudes literally just they'll grab my arm sometimes if I don't acknowledge them just to just to tell me I'm beautiful. And I'm just like, please don't. But I I'm so tiny. I'm scared they're going to beat me up. So I'm like, OK, thank you. <laughs> thank yeah. you, you incredibly aggressive human being. I would have just taken the compliment from afar. Thank you. But I also have my headphones and I try to keep my hair back so you can see. And I'm just like, I have headphones in. Headphones. Yeah, I mean, that. That's what sucks about like wireless headphones. Cause like when well, these with the wire, they could see there's an entire situation, but now it's like, no, they can't. Sometimes it's That's covered. I love, so the like, wire. Mm. I love the wire. So not, I love the wire. Fake conversations. I can be like, I'm sorry. What did you say? I feel, I feel terrible though. When the senoras come and they're talking to me, asking me questions, but I didn't hear them. Then I, that's when I feel like shit. I'm like, oh, sorry. yeah. You all help. You, sir, please go away. <laughs> you, however. So, uh, so Andrea, like, uh, let's just say how we know each other. I, we met a few months ago. Actually, oddly enough, I feel like we met it through the pandemic, like at the time of the pandemic. Yeah. We physically met. Um, we met because I was doing one of those, um, what was it? Like the, the those challenges. The don't, the don't rush. The don't rush. Yeah. Yes. And I did like a Selena version of it. And so a mutual contact and friend, um, Kat Lazo, I had reached out to her to do and she was like, oh, if you want suge um, suggestions of people who I think would be great, she sent your name. So that was probably early on. So it's been a few months. I think um, that was, I think that went when the pandemic started. So like March or something. Yeah. It feels um, like last year. Right, it does. It feels, uh, that's the other side of 2020. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, since then, you know, we followed each other because I feel like that was like the beauty of like that entire challenge that not only did I get to put multiple people in it, but then connect with those people. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, just like a little official, this is Gina, Gina, Andrea, because you guys also have it officially met. Um, yeah, so, you know, we like to start a little bit with our guests asking three questions. They're kind of speed round, but don't feel pressured. Um, okay. The first one is, uh, where are you from? Which you kind of just told us, but uh, what's your zodiac sign and what got you started as an actor, writer, and activist? So I am from Lake Mary, Florida, which no one knows. So you can just say Orlando. Uh, and then I am a Scorpio, raised, raised by two Scorpio parents. So oh. chaos, basically, especially because Cuban and Puerto Rican parents. Uh, and then what got me started in acting was just my family my whole family are artists in different ways um like my mom was a photographer as a uh, young my dad is a really good pianist my grandma's on my dad's side sings my abuelo on my mom's side he was an actor my Theo was an actor but everyone in my family always gave up their their talents to raise a family and like immigrate so um, my parents and my Wella who lived with us, they kind of like pushed my siblings I to pursue the arts and wanted us to not like give it up. And so uh, that kind of pushed me. And so now that's 
kind of what I do. And then I, I'm an activist only because everyone keeps wanting me dead. And I kind of am like, no, I don't want to die. No, that, I mean, if the, it, wow. I think activism comes from a personal place to some mm -hmm. degree, whatever the personal place is, it must come from a personal place because activism has a lot to do with passion, right? Like yeah. what you're passionate about and what you want to see change is. Definitely. I think too, when I was a kid, I, my activism mostly focused on, I didn't know I was an activist as a kid. My parents really, for some reason, my parents really jumped on to like calling me disabled when I was born. They saw it as a positive thing because my parents are the type that uh, when something happens, if they find answers or just at least a name, they go, okay, let's roll with this. Let's go with it. I don't know if that's like the New Yorker in them when things go wrong, they got to fix it or like just handle it. Um, but they always like told me I have to advocate for myself, especially because my, uh, my disability is spina bifida and it's a rare version of it. Uh, so I don't look like a lot of the stereotypes of disability. So my parents were just like, educate people. And if they still don't want to treat you right, then don't pay them any mind because you got things to do. And so I would just educate like my friends when I would be gone for doctor's appointments, but I didn't start doing activism when it came to like the arts until I got to college because in high school, I was very privileged that my uh, theater teachers really accommodated my disability. They, um, the choreographer, I love musical theater. That's where I feel the most comfortable in, but musical theater super dance heavy and I can learn choreography, but I can't learn it in like an audition sense uh, because usually choreographers are teaching a routine quickly, but no accommodations for disabled people. But my theater, right. my theater teachers really knew I could do it. And so they, they gave me the, they gave me the accommodations I needed to thrive and stuff. Um, and when I got to college, I went, I realized I didn't want to do musical theater at Florida State because even though it's a great musical theater program, they weren't going to make those accommodations. And especially, I, especially be, I didn't see anyone that was disabled auditioning. So I just kind of knew, oh, that's not for me. So I just pursued another passion for that I liked was uh, Asian studies. And that's what I got my degree in but I started doing community theater. And again, I had to teach them how to accommodate me so I could be a great performer and even continue learning. And then out here in Hollywood, it's been kind of the same thing that I realized, oh, they, they say they want disabled people, but they don't make the process of getting us where we can be in the door. Yeah. Right. Can um... so, I'm sorry, uh, since oh. October is Spina Bifida Awareness, I just wanted you to go into a little bit more about Spina Bifida. So for people that don't know, that don't understand what it is, or you have a rare form, like that there's even different forms of it. So if you can explain just a little yeah. bit about that, that'd be great. So Spina Bifida is a neural tube defect. It is basically the baby spine doesn't form fully. And oftentimes, a baby born with spina bifida, their back is open when they're born. So you can see like their exposed spine. Usually they get immediate surgery to close that up. And for the common types, that means someone might be in a wheelchair, they might use crutches and things. There's 
not really a big reason why people are born with spina bifida. Um, there is uh, Latinx, Black, and Asian are the three uh, ethnicities and races that are the highest in the US born with it. Uh, and then white people, although in our community, we tend to focus more on just white people who have spina bifida. And then, so those are like the three demographics, but then my type is called lipomyelomeningocele. It's a rare version of the most, what's considered severe type, which is myelomeningocele. But I got my spina bifida because my dad was uh, forced into the Vietnam War when he was young. He, from what I remember him saying, he was in a gang they beat up this white kid in, on their block. He got caught and a lot of cops back then in New York would trick young Puerto Rican men and say, they would give him a choice. You can go to jail or you can join the military. And my dad said he wanted to go to jail. They put him in the Marines and then Vietnam broke out right after. And so he went to Vietnam. The US used a chemical during that war called Agent Orange, which they were not supposed to use. Other countries had advised them not to use it because it's not good for the environment. It's supposed to kill all the jungle life and it's not good for people that come around it. The US went ahead and did it anyway, but didn't tell soldiers. And so my dad, like a lot of people became infected by it. it some didn't get affected immediately. <clears throat> Obviously those in Vietnam they have the more higher concentrations of birth defects and stuff. But then in 92, the year I was born, they proved that Agent Orange can cause spina bifida in offsprings of soldiers. So my dad had five kids, none of them came out with it. I, would, I wanted attention because I am a Scorpio. And so I came out and they looked at me and said, that was fucked up, something happened during cooking. And I, that's how I got my spina bifida. Um, oh. So that like, it's kind of, I, I've been talking to a lot of friends lately about it because since it's Spina Bifida Awareness Month and just like disability in general is getting more talked about, we have this like pride with disability because uh, there's a culture, there's a whole lingo, there's mm -hmm. a whole even fashion when it comes to being disabled. And I have pride with that identity because of my parents, but then as I got older, it feel there's always this like weird disconnect at the same time because I have to wrap my head around my existence is literally a manifestation of my dad's trauma. And and he doesn't talk about it a lot. Like he's always been hands-on. Um, a little bit later in life when I was really little, he shut down because I, I know he blamed himself whenever, like as a kid in the hospital screaming yeah. and stuff. But that's always that we've never talked about it. And I, I don't know if he ever would want to, but I just, that's a thing I think about, like, does he look at me sometimes? And he feels proud of me. He, to he recently told me a few months ago, like, I kind of want to brag it to my siblings. He said, I'm, he's the most proud of me out of all of them. <laughs> and I'm just like, I knew I was better. Um, <laughs> but I always wonder if like, he thinks about his trauma when he like, looks at me which is like a heart a heavy thing to like know your existence is kind of that even though I was wanted by my parents but right like, no you, you're a direct reminder of something in his life like something that wasn't a choice right like there's multiple things that weren't choices 
like him going to that war wasn't a choice. His being enlisted wasn't a choice. And then that chemical that wasn't his choice yeah. affected his entire life and the life of someone else that he loves. Like that is in a weird way, a trigger, but it's unintentional. Like your existence is an unintentional trigger. to yeah. like whatever he holds, I get it. it. it it definitely feels too, the more I'm learning, I'm, I'm slowly getting through the book, uh, War Against All Puerto Ricans, mm. which is so good, but like, yes. so heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like knowing also like, what probably my family had to deal with when they lived, uh, they most of them still live on the island, but that this just feels like another, like my existence feels like just another added science experiment that the U.S. has always done to like my people. And I'm just, it, it's just, oh. Yeah. And people wonder why I talk shit about the U.S. because I'm just like. It's, it's heavy. I mean, just um, uh, to shout out what you just said, um, the war against all Puerto Ricans that's Nelson Dennis. It's a really, really insightful book. Like I've personally interviewed Nelson and you just, you can have conversations with him about this, which the book doesn't even get to cover what he really wants, like what what there is to be said, because, you know, Puerto Rico's, their history and what's been done is constantly overlooked or um, glossed over historically. There's mm-hmm. other ways to tell the, the truth, but it's not the actual truth. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good read if anybody's interested. There, there was definitely a thing in the book that I, I had to like sit and like, I had to pause it and just kind of cry because I didn't realize something was trauma that was like for my grandma. Because uh, there's a song like my grandma would sing to us. It, it's like a kid's rhyme. Um, every time we would go to New York, she would, uh, it's like, gallina, hen, lapis, pencil, y pluma, yeah. pen. I've never heard anyone know that song. I've, I've like sang it to so many people who speak Spanish and they're like, what are you singing? Uh, and they weren't Puerto Rican. So I was like, maybe it's just like an us thing or maybe it's a New York thing. Um, and then that book- I think it's a Puerto Rican thing, but yeah. New Yorkers are around Puerto Ricans. So I heard it in daycare around Puerto Rican like um, daycare teachers. And and so, yeah, and I thought it was like a fun little song. I thought my grandma was just teaching me both like the English and Spanish. They say that song in the book and that song was sung when the US was really pumping to get rid of Spanish on the island and in schools. And and I realized, and I was like, my grandma was taught that when she was in Puerto Rico as a kid. And so she was just teaching me her trauma without realizing this fun song is just them erasing her identity. Like mm-hmm. that book, um, if you're Puerto Rican, like in general, I think anyone should read it, but that book was like, oh, some of our cultural things that I thought was just fun, happy kids stuff is like deep seated on like an oppression. And I'm just like, oh, that's enough for today. I'm gonna <laughs> go no. go play Animal Crossing and disassociate. I'm gonna go cry and then uh, I'm gonna watch some cartoons and relax. So, so I have a question um, and it goes back into your, um, you know, uh, your disability um, and just that community in general. Um, I think, one of the things I like that you write about on your actual um, platform, your Instagram specifically, is you say, just say disabled. And it did, Mm -hmm. you know, I think the first time I saw that, it just made me think of how much um, disabled, the word is treated as a taboo, as like, if it's something dirty, almost. Um, As someone who is 
able-bodied. Not my mother is disabled, so I think growing up with a disabled parent, um, kind of like you, you understand certain things. But I think there's a difference between understanding and experiencing. Um, but you know, a lot of people don't have that experience. So I do think that like disabled is one of those things that I remember growing up. People be like, you know, it's because she's disabled, and they would whisper it almost like if it was something bad. Um, mm -hmm. Why, what made you choose to like, uh, you know, put that on shirts and all that? I mean, I think that, uh, I don't feel like that's made for the disabled community in general. I feel like any, an able-bodied party can wear that shirt because it's like, listen, it says there's nothing bad with that word. You're mm -hmm. acknowledging the community instead of ignoring them, putting them in a shadow of sorts. Yeah. Um, well, first, uh, I generally say abled instead of able body because you can be able body and still be disabled because you can have like a, a learning disability or you can be autistic and things and still have an able body because even for me there are moments I am able I'm more able body depending on the day uh but for disabled um I kind of wanted to put it on a shirt because I got tired of people within and even outside of the community just being so scared of the word. Disabled was never a bad word for me. Um, when I was in New York, because most uh, my mom's family for Q her Cuban side, they're all in Cuba. I only have like a tia and a tío and my wella when she was alive and my wella lived with me. They were all pretty fine with saying I'm disabled and stuff. But when we would go to New York, my dad's family, especially my grandma and grandpa, they didn't really speak English. And so we didn't have the language the way we did in English to show that like being disabled is okay and powerful and stuff. So for them, I would hear whispers that things was like wrong with me. And like they would, my, my grandparents are uh, Spanish Baptist. And so they, would always pray my grandfather was a reverend and stuff and I like they would make like kind of remarks and my grandma would treat me she wouldn't talk to me directly um because she thought I couldn't understand her so she would tell my sisters or tell my dad to tell me something which would start arguments because they would like just talk to her and stuff so I I, I started noticing when I got out of my immediate family that people didn't see disabled as a positive thing. And even some of my friends who were also disabled didn't see it positive. So I wanted to just like make shirts and talk about it that no, it's an identity word. There is a rich history with it. And being disabled is also an indicator to keep you safe. Saying disabled keeps you safe because it lets people know that there are things you cannot do and that is fine and you need to know this word means that I have a reason why I can't do something if I tell you no, which people are scared to think about that because everyone always wants to go, oh, well, yeah, but don't focus on that. Like you can do so much. And it's like, yeah, but there's a lot of people that can't do things all the time. Like I know some friends who can't sing and no one, no one tells them when they say, oh, I can't sing. Oh, well, just try hard enough uh, and you can do it. Like, everyone can't do something we just are trying to make it obvious that we cannot do stuff but we but it lets you know we can do other things but you need to know what I cannot do because I need to stay safe and you need to stay safe around me and yeah things. it's it's you if you it's you asserting your limitations your boundaries there's nothing wrong with that 
um, in general. And even that mentality of like, um, you can do whatever you, you, you want or whatever you put your mind to, that's very false positive because it's literally telling the person, I hear you, but I don't want to believe you or I don't care what you're telling me. This is what I believe in. And that's just insulting, you know, like in general. Yeah. And like, and I've had, I had to learn that even when I started going to school as a kid, um, cause I slowly lost when I, I lost feeling in my feet when I was 10 after a, a routine back surgery, which meant I started losing the ability to run. I used to be able to kind of like, not well, but I used to be able to run as a kid, um, in PE class. And then I stopped being able to, and then it got to the point if I tried running, uh, I would pee on myself because I got a really bad bladder. I tell everyone, I can't wait till all my friends are old as shit when their bladders start. Well, can I curse? Yeah, yeah, girl, go ahead. Oh, okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Curse okay. on you, girl. <laughs> like, I, I can't wait till everyone get, has, like, old people bladders so then they, I can advise them how to, like, what, what depends to wear or, like, what kind of bladder control pads because no one gets it right now because every time my friends and I are crossing the street or something, um, they'll want to, like, power walk real fast, which I don't care. My dad taught me how to cross the street in New York. Hit me. I did. Like, please. I... I want to, I want money. Um, Hit me with that Benz. If I, especially in Santa Monica, my doctors are in Santa Monica and I want that old people money. Um, (laughs) But the, I I can't do a quick jog. If I do, I risk like my bladder emptying on itself. Um, And so it's things like that, that I always have to say disabled because those are like little things people don't think of. And, um, I'm trying to do it to prevent accidents, uh, either physically or like, I don't want to pee on myself. That's like, for there's so much, I wish there wasn't stigma. And like, I talk about, about bladder stuff because it's something I am affected by, but I still feel embarrassed to a degree because that's a hard thing to break down since that stigma is there. So like there's safety in saying disabled, but there's also saying disabled to just help cope with, um, some societal things that are deemed as like, oh, you shouldn't be doing this because like you're an adult now. Well, I mean, mm. speaking yeah. of stigmas, um, well, just on your platform, you cover so many different topics. But one of the things that you've mentioned is teaching young disabled kids bodily autonomy. And can you discuss mm-hmm. like the importance of that, especially how it affects disabled children who are taught they have no say in what happens to their bodies? Why do you yeah. think that is? Why do you think people let that happen? I think there's this idea that we all get from parenting of um, parents know best. And to a degree, I think your parents do to, to a degree, um, either because what they were taught from family or they feel like that instinct with their kids, but your kids are still their own people. And when they're disabled on top of that, if, especially as a child, if you're gonna have, like, it's not, disability is normal it's part of nature's diversity, but there is parts of like being cut open, being poked and prodded. That's not necessarily a normal experience, especially for a kid. And so as a kid, you're trying to understand why you're in pain all the time and why you're not at school with your friends. Um, And then if you're not able to vocalize and parents are saying, no, you have to get this done and there's no there's no discussion you kind of just feel like a rag doll and then and then that can lead to growing up 
that can lead to such dangerous situations of like who you decide to be in a relationship with, who you decide to be in a friendship with, especially disabled people have the highest like abuse and sexual abuse statistics because people think we're voiceless and sometimes we believe we are. Um, and then I learned that, again, I was very privileged where I grew up in Orlando because um, Orlando at Arnold Palmer Hospital has the best spina bifida program for pediatrics. And so um, I, I was very fortunate. My parents moved there before I was born. It, it kind of was like fate. They didn't know I was gonna have this and they ended up moving to a city because uh, they were part of that wave of Puerto Rican, New Ricans that moved to um, Orlando in the nineties. But my doctor, he was, I also think it's because my doctor wasn't white, which is why he was so such a great fucking doctor. Um, he, he sat with me one day because in fifth grade, I had got my routine back surgery to just help my spinal cord grow. And I wasn't fully healed yet, but I was allowed to go back to school. It was the end of the year when you play like games and stuff. This kid in my class told me to get up from his chair and I, because uh, we had them all grouped together and I told him to wait because I was cleaning up the game. I ended up on the floor. He pulled my chair out from under me and um, the impact of hitting the ground, it wasn't immediate. It happened a few days later. Uh, I started leaking spinal fluid, but trauma kid me uh, didn't want to go back to the hospital. So I would put washcloths on my back and just tape them and not tell my parents. But I got an infection because of that because I didn't know that could happen. And I remember sitting with my doctor uh, and crying because I didn't want to go back. And he said to me, he, he tried to comfort me going, oh, I know, I know. And I yelled at him for the first time and was like, you don't know. You learned what you did when you went to school, but you don't live like me. And my parents were real quick to like, they wanted to hit me right then because like, you don't talk back to like, doctors especially mm -hmm. but he he stopped them and he and he was just like no no she's right and he looked at me he's like all right you tell me what you want and I'll tell you what I want and we'll figure out how to do this together and he taught me autonomy because then we made you can hear the paletero man <laughs> coming by <laughs> um he he taught me um we can make reasonings uh, and meet in the middle. Cause I was still a kid. There was still a degree that I still cannot make my decision. Like when it came to surgeries, mm -hmm. but our, our rule, our, our agreement was, I don't like needles. I have a lot of trauma. So if I didn't fight the gas mask to like go to sleep, I could have my IV put in when I was asleep in surgery. So I wouldn't have to feel it. I didn't like catheters. So our agreement was when I wake up from surgery, the catheter is gone. But if, at some point healing in the hospital, if I cannot go to the bathroom on my own, I cannot fight the nurses if they need to put a catheter back in. And those little things made me realize I have a say in my body. And like now as an adult, I still get pushback from doctors who kind of want to abuse their power, but I have, I'll be crying. It's not that it's easy. I'll still cry in the doctor's appointment, trying to assert my like autonomy but I have that courage to still say it. And then even with um, my relationships and my friendships and stuff, like when I first had sex, that was something so like new for me uh, as everyone, but 
there, I didn't know anything about disability and sex with an abled partner. And so I was able to like, tell him exactly like what I, what I wanted and what I wasn't ready to do yet. And so I think just that autonomy from just medical stuff translated into other parts of my life to help navigate it. And I think when you don't give kids that opportunity to know they still have a say, then you, you do set them up to let people take advantage of them. See, I think what's very, we, in another episode, I think it's the um, previous episode, we did speak about bedside manner and like um, doctors kind of deciding for us and us feeling like we can advocate for ourselves. Um, so that's clearly an issue. I don't know if it's an issue for women on top of, you know, any other, like for, for yourself, you're saying like, it's, it's whether you're abled or not, it can be an issue, right? I feel though, um, what's interesting is that I can only imagine that with a child who is disabled, um, a lot of it is if your parent doesn't know your disability, meaning they weren't taught that in a book, they haven't dealt with them themselves, that's the person you trust, right? And if mm -hmm. they're the one trusting this doctor, because the doctor knows everything. So the ki that kid now has two layers of, I can't, I'm not being taught to advocate for myself, and the people who I trust are trusting them. So like I'm silenced on to another degree, right? Like that's what being a child is in general, but it's even greater. Like I'm, I'm being honest because this is not an experience I've ever had to deal with um, or live through. Now, just even listening to you, I'm like, that's a level of, of understanding children and yeah. experiences that we don't necessarily think about unless you live through them or you have a child, right? Or a, a, a close person around you and you actually take the time. It's very interesting because I think that's why, um, you know, awareness for whether it's spinal bifida or just disability is important because it's like those things are a part of our society, but because the percentage isn't what we would consider the entire population, well, then it's just spoken about within small little nuggets of communities, yeah, um, which and is it, wrong. And, it, and it, it gets kind of hard too, depending on culture, I think mixing that because so my mom's a white Cuban and my dad is a brown Puerto Rican man. And like my mom's, my both my parents speak English fairly well, but my mom is really good at English. Like she had us reading books like before we started school, like she loves literature and all that. My dad, he grew up in Alphabet City, Avenue C, like he, he didn't care about academics and, and stuff in like the 60s. He he lies to me all the time, but I know my dad was fucking every single person on his block. He, he lied. My dad's- my, Back then? I, yeah. A dark Puerto Rican man, and those New York Rican men, all my friends to stay away from them. They're smooth as shit. <laughs> they will talk to you. They would make, butter you up. Yep. I tell yep, my dad every will. time, he's always like, you're gonna, you're gonna marry a Puerto Rican, right? I'm like, no. Cause I already lived with you for most of my life. You think I want this shit again? No, I love myself <laughs> too much. Um, He's what you would have considered a bajapanti. A bajapanti. Right, on the block, I grew up in a very Puerto Rican community. There was just certain guys who you like, you know that's all he wants, right? So bajalo panti. Yeah, like, that's and it. He, that's his goal. That's what he's good at. I mean, I would still sleep with them. Absolutely. But like, that's what he <laughs> Have you, a good you, time, sis. You you enjoy like, you you might have a, a a good evening with a paja panty or a puppy shampoo, but you don't want a lifetime. 
with one of them. You don't want the life size. It's funny though. My dad would rather me with a New Yorkian than like an Island Rican. And I'm like, you make no sense at all because they're just as smooth talking and even more so because they got the confidence because oh I grew up on the island and I'm like yeah. shut the fuck up uh, and Cuban Cuban men are just a, I don't even mess with them they're just a headache <laughs> I can't do it uh, I'm just stuck in limbo with my cultures but regardless oh um, my dad is like I think with his war trauma on top of it because definitely like we didn't talk about mental health the way Latinx families don't he he gets very angry quickly and when you use really like academic English words with him he checks out he doesn't want anything to do with it he'll get mad and so at doctor's appointments it would my mom would kind of take over and things and then I would know that oh my parents have my back but then the cultural aspect of we love making fun of like when our kids cry in our culture when they have little meltdowns over anything. And yeah. um, I, my parents and would- tease, pull- And tease them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I have, I, I had this moment with my parents, we got into a huge argument, mostly my dad, because I think they don't want to acknowledge that that behavior they used to do to me of making fun of, um, I used to really beg with, when I had to get a needle as a kid, there's home videos of me doing it. I would like, be pleading with them like no 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 like and, and looking back I'm like oh I'm I'm having an actual like panic attack and yep. now I'm developing PTSD and stuff which we don't talk about that kid like because we think it's all war for PTSD but like yeah anyone can get it for any situation but definitely kids who have to go through the medical system and and be grabbed and touched and forced into things um, my parents used to tease that. And my dad, I asked him for some home videos and he had some home videos that we used to send to my grandma in New York. Like we were vlogging before vlogging was a thing. Cause <laughs> we would send them, you remember the little cassette tapes that you would put in a VC, uh, a VCR tape thing. And the put mini it in DVD. Yeah. And then you would like put it in and then we would yeah, mail that like little. Yeah, there was like the big tape and the, the yeah, little and mini DVD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we would mail the mini cartridges to my grandma so she can put it in and watch what we're doing since like we were so far. Um, So there was footage of my mom showing my grandma how like she was cleaning my scar on my back and I am fully having a meltdown about it and stuff. And I can hear myself too, um, not wanting my dad to record me and stuff. And, And they were doing it anyway. And when my dad was playing that on FaceTime for me to show me that footage, I had two reactions. First, I was mad because my dad was doing the teasing in real time. And then I didn't realize I was having flashbacks because I forgot about that whole scenario and stuff. And I had to like tell my parents like this, you know, this is trauma, right? That I was experiencing as a kid. And and then I get met with like, oh, you're overreacting. So on yeah. one hand, my parents were pretty progressive, but then at the same time, I felt like that's such a heavy thing in our culture to really make fun of our kids showing emotion. Um, Particularly that, the males, but yeah, it, it's yeah. definitely a thing culturally. Which, which felt like a kind of a, a weird, I trusted my parents as a kid, but also it felt like a betrayal at the same yeah. time. Mm-hmm. And and like, it's hard 
to be kind of critical because like with them, like they didn't have resources. They relied on each other because my dad's extended family didn't really understand why my parents were so positive about my disability. So they were kind of on their own for support and stuff. But then like, I, I don't know, I, it was a weird, it was a hard thing to like do. And then I had to learn on top of this, I had to learn medical lingo to like also, yeah. even though my parents knew English well enough, I needed to learn it better than them so I can find simple English words to explain to my, my dad. And so like that yeah. also struggled with my Spanish because I had to like focus, all my stuff was in English unless I got like the Puerto Rican nurses and stuff. And they, they would purposely speak Spanish to me because otherwise no one would speak Spanish when I was in the hospital. And so like I kept my culture also from my family, but through the nurses who were yeah, Puerto Rican. Yeah. Uh, wow. And and because, I'm gonna still say it, people are gonna get mad, white nurses, white women nurses, usually are the meanest, um, at least in the 90s, because I've been drugged by those nurses when they said I was being too loud and my parents had gone. And oh. like, and I know they sedated me, they said they gave me pain meds, but I know the difference. And, um, I would have them switch nurses because I refused to speak English to those nurses and they would get mad. And then I get the like Latinx nurses and they would always be like, yeah, they would have like grievances with the white nurses and stuff. And so my mom had an easy time with them because they only read my mom as just white and not Latinx. So they didn't know, but my dad was there. They never talked to my dad. And so there's like so many issues but then I'm also a kid just being like hey I'm just trying not to die I didn't really need this political right. shit you're navigating like a ton of different there's layers to all of that like you yeah. said even just the experience of like a kid in a hospital one hospital visit's enough for children first off any any yeah. child yeah for, so and I mean and by hospital visit I'm even talking like a simple checkup like you know what I mean that annual checkup that's enough for a child. So somebody who has a lifetime of experiencing hospitals and then the layers of what that looks like. Um, like you said, PTSD is not just um, for soldiers and for war. It's about the traumatic experiences that people go through that aren't normal and should never be considered, like never normalized. They should never yeah. be normalized. Your experience of, in itself should not happen to another kid, mostly because that your experience should be what helps other people put um, systems in place where if the child is bilingual, they should have nurses who can speak to both parents and that child shouldn't be burdened with having to translate. They, it, 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 yeah, and even like, I still, I mean, I don't know what now is cause like everyone now is learning Spanish more often than back in the nineties. But like one memory that always sticks to me is I usually am in a single room when I would have surgery but I had a roommate once and it was uh, like a newborn, which was really rare. And I, it was really late at night and I guess they didn't have a translator who spoke Spanish and the doctor only spoke English. And my mom had overheard the doctor telling this mom that their baby had uh, a heart murmur and was gonna have to have surgery, but the mom only spoke Spanish and there was no one with her. Uh, she had just given birth. So my mom overheard this and my mom offered to translate and stuff. And my mom did that. My mom's a very sensitive person. She like, that woman 
cares too much to a fault. Like I like I love my mom for it, but also I'm like Inez, please, like <laughs> be tough, please. She grew up in the Bronx. I don't understand why she's so nice. She's a Scorpio. Like, <laughs> she, she she feels it. She feels for people. It's yeah. humanity. Yeah. And and then I all I remember I think she thought it was sleeping because then she went in her chair to go to sleep um, after because that lady was uh, ended up like in, obviously emotional. But then my mom was crying. And I remember thinking as a kid, like, why did my mom have to like translate? Like that shouldn't, that's not my mom's job to have that added trauma of telling someone their baby might die. And and it's like these like cultural things too. And like the medical field that is a lack of like awareness and stuff. Like the doctor thanks my mom, but it's like at what cost? Cause my mom's already traumatized with, she probably thought of stuff with me as a baby telling this lady. And so it's like, there's such a lack of like help in in these kinds of areas. And then and then that's that kind of thing of like childhood trauma, people think you can outgrow it. And then it you you get further made fun of when you're an adult. Like I still have needle trauma. I can kind of calm myself down, but it's still hard to like I had blood drawn last week and with COVID, the setup to like go get blood drawn felt like these like doomsday sci-fi mm-hmm. movies where you they're like okay when your number's called go through that white door and it's like empty my brain literally was I had to fight the oh my god they're gonna kill me which I know is not true yeah. um it's the trauma of everything that you've experienced but usually when I express it everyone's like oh well you're an adult now get like you're in therapy and I'm like therapy doesn't fix it therapy just makes me able to like I'm not having panic attacks that's what therapy is only doing but that doesn't get like your trauma doesn't go away no no I mean especially developmental trauma so the things that you experience as an actual baby um Mm -hmm. so experiencing whether in your physical being or the way that you're experiencing the world I it took me a very long time because I was born with a deformity um it I mean I I'm I believe that I'm very fortunate that the, the deformity that I had was operable and um, and it and it isn't for most people. It um, it's called a, a benign hemangioma. Uh, so basically, mm-hmm. a vein popped uh, when I was born. So my nose was like a purplish uh, um, green, right? It was a vein, right? And it was very very round. Um, a lot of my trauma as an adult has to do with being given too much attention. Like I don't like being looked at for too long. I don't like a lot of attention on me. People don't understand that. They think that it's an insecurity thing. And it technically is, but it's because until the age of four, I had a lot of negative attention. A lot of people who wanted to touch my nose, a lot of people who wanted to like ask a lot of questions. I was like, I I basically was like a freak show of a child to them, not allowed to play with a lot of kids because I guess it wasn't necessarily a disability, but I was treated like that until I got my operation. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so socially there's a part of my brain that I'm aware just does not like, um, you know, and then there was teasing that was attached to it. So I was called, and you just said it, how insensitive families can be. My family called me Pinocho and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You don't do that to a three-year-old. You don't mm-hmm. do that to a, a, a baby. So as an adult now, yeah, do I dislike Rudolph? No, cause that doesn't bother me, but I'm not going to lie. There is moments where if I'm in a situation, I will actively want to be outside of attention because I don't like it. Like there's something innately and people could be like, oh no, it's all good. No, like don't, yeah, I, don't. Even, 
stop. Even if you've, ex- even if like you've experienced positive things, like um, for the most part, like, like catheters, I have, I didn't know I had like technically looking back, I'm like, yeah, that's traumatizing. Cause I didn't like catheters in the hospital, but that translated into my sex life that I didn't know when um, my ex and I, he was the first one I had sex with. Um, and I was very fortunate. Uh, I don't know if fortunate. I, he was just like a like basic level, what everyone should be of like actually catering to me and learning about my body and asking me questions and stuff instead of assuming. But after like a while of us having sex, one day he was gonna he was doing the motions to go down on me. My brain, without realizing, I, my brain went in mayday, and I real and 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 I stopped him, and he was like, "Oh, fine, fine, that's like." whatever. And we did everything else. And then later on, I sat with him because we would talk about stuff. And I was like, I think I don't, I think I'm scared of it because I just saw a nurse when you did that. And the sense of like, the only other people who've been down there has been my mom when I was a kid and then nurses that put catheters in me. So I realized, oh, I associate my genitals with medical procedures instead Mm -hmm. of like pleasure. And so that took a while for like, when I explained it to him, then he was like, okay, we can go slower and figure out if you don't ever want it, then that's fine. And then it ended up like working out. But now again, that even though like I've experienced now something positive, I still think about, oh, the next time I have sex, someone's probably going to want to do that. And I don't know if I can do it again. I think I need to do that process with the new person again, because that trauma hasn't left I just am aware of it and I just have to kind of navigate it but it's like things like that that as a kid they they really stem into our adult lives and people don't we I mean we're not aware sometimes until it happens and it's like oh and not considered normal there's no normal first off but it's not considered normal to not want oral sex like, you know what I mean? To be like, why are you yeah. uncomfortable with oral sex? Like, shouldn't you love that? And it's like, I've had an entire life that you do not understand. It, it's the same with my pads. My pads are like a positive thing for me because it helps me not pee on myself. And I'm just like, great. But like, I mean, I still have that. Like every time I talk about it online, everyone laughs. They're like, why do you talk about it? I'm like, well, cause kids still need to hear or like younger people who like, even though I'm insecure about it, I, I still low key hate it because I'm like, ugh someone I find attractive is probably going to watch this and I hate them knowing my stuff without me telling them first which is like the double-edged sword with activism it's like it needs to be talked about but my pad stuff I've always been confident of talking about it with people but never in romance that was a thing too but before my ex and I had sex I kept stopping him because I was so scared that if he saw my pad undressing me he would be disgusted and I finally told him, because um, I started crying. He was putting on a movie and I felt ready for sex. But I, he, I, I was like, I have to tell you something. He's like, yeah, what's up? I started sobbing immediately. And I was like, I wear this. And I just don't want to be grossed out. And he was just like, I already know you wear it. And I was like, what? And he's like, you have a video about it. I was just waiting for you to tell me about it. And I was like, what the, I like at that point, the tears when I, I fucking hit him, I was like, we could have been fucking this whole time and you had me sitting here. Like, what? And he's like, I, I knew you would want to tell me. So I waited and I'm like, why didn't we consider it? What the fuck? Well, what happens when that- you're a public figure? <laughs> well, 
Well, that's the good thing about you making videos about, I'm sorry, but I feel like if a person starts dating you and you have any public like life, they usually research you. So let's hope you came across that video where I explained the situation so we don't have to talk to extent. Cause yeah. they're, and oh, they're yeah. like, why do you wear a pad? Oh, I'm sorry. I have a video on that on my yeah. Instagram. You Please can go give me a video. Give me a video. The video like, <laughs> yeah, like attached I, video. I mean, there's some stuff I educate that I don't actually experience, but it has to do with the disabilities. So that's what usually worries me. If someone's going to be like, assume I have this, like I, when I went on a date, uh, last year, I met him on an app. And so I was first, I was scared. He was going to Google my, I don't like telling people on an app I'm disabled. I like to do it in person because usually I get ghosted immediately. Cause they have all the like assumptions, like, Oh, she probably can't have sex. Like the first thing is sex. So they're, that's usually when people dip. But I, I was like, fuck. I told him without meaning to. And then I was like, oh, okay. I gave him my YouTube channel. I was like, here, have at it. Fuck it. And when we went on the date, he also was like, yeah, I watched like one or two videos. But then I realized I'd rather just ask you the questions than watch like your videos. And I was like, what the fuck? A considerate person? What is this? I've never heard of it. This is more considerate than people I meet who just want to be friends. Um, yeah. But it's like, there's like a bunch of things that I've, I've been learning growing up and, and then in the acting world. It, for that, the new hurdle is how do I say my needs without a director being like, this is too much work. I might as well cast someone else and like I have a manager who she manages disabled people so like I know she and she's disabled as well so I know she, she that's her job she's going to be the one fighting with them but that's always my concern um will they accommodate for me of like giving me adequate bathroom schedules when I have because like I can't I can kind of plan out my bathroom but at the same time my bladder is going to do whatever it does and if I have to pee, I'm gonna, like, I'll let you know, but if you tell me no, I'm still gonna go because uh, I have to go. Do and you know what bothers me about what you're talking, like bothers me just industry-wise is mm. that there are, I mean, I mean, mind you, it, it's because of the laws, but there are laws for children on set, right? And so that means that those laws mean accommodation for children actors. I don't understand why there aren't other accommodations. Like clearly there's accommodations for different, like a child is not an adult. They can only be on set a certain amount of time, but there is no law that says if a child needs to pee in the middle of a scene, you, you have to force them to do the scene. No, they'll probably let the child actually go to the bathroom. So it's like, logically, if you can accommodate on set for one group, you can accommodate for anybody's needs. That's how I look at it. As somebody who's yeah. you know, in Holly Hollywood um, wants to be more just behind the scenes, that's the way I would approach it. I would go, mm -hmm. what is the issue? If anything, let's just make sure that our production time, meaning what we've allowed it for these scenes in this day, always takes into account that we are working with performers that have specific needs. That's a production issue. That's not a the person who's casted issue like that's it, where I I have a Hollywood issue with this like situation it, it, it's very and it's hard because it's like sometimes um since I'm not Hollywood really thinks disability is just wheelchair mm -hmm. and may maybe like crutches um so then when they look at me they even if they know 
and I have some friends that do this too, they forget that I still have needs because I look so abled, which is kind of like, but you just kind of have to assume everyone, everyone needs accommodations, even if they're disabled, but it, they will forget for me or even audition rooms. Sometimes um, I have days where I need my cane, but I won't take it to an audition. Cause your audition starts when you're in the waiting room. Like you're, you're a lot. I see a lot of people, I grew up in theater. So I, I see some people doing film that in the waiting room, they're taking selfies. They're like doing stuff. And I'm like, yo, there's eyes everywhere. Like yeah. what, your audition's not when you go in that room, they want to like, cause people talk, if you're not, yeah. if you're acting up, you're going to act up when you're not filming and they're not going to hire you. It doesn't matter how talented you are. Right. It's like an um, interview. You're, once you're yeah. in the building. Yeah. Once they see and, you sitting there, they're paying attention to every single move you make. And they'll ask the reception, because a receptionist will not lie, because what do they have to lose if they lie? They don't care. Um, but I have to decide, uh, okay, I'm not taking my cane. Because if I take my cane, I know, I, and I can see in their eyes, I'm not cast. And so I will not That's take my cool. cane. And then I can't drive, so I take the Metro, which... I know y'all are New Yorkers. The, the Metro is way better up there, obviously. The LA Metro is still good. The people who talk shit just can't read a fucking map and like literally aren't taking the time to learn it. Because I get everywhere. When they say LA is this, you need a car, you don't. You can really, like, if you have to go to the white areas. Where do you live? Car, I live in Koreatown. Um, okay, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, that's yeah. good centralized for Metro and accessibility. Yeah. yeah, I had one traumatic um, LA Metro experience and I'm such a spoiled New Yorker that I was like, I'm never taking the Metro here. I, I, but to go moment, from Koreatown to Santa Monica, I there's definitely a way on the Metro to do yeah, that. Yeah, there's That's, a way I can, the, I have gotten all the way to Riverside, which is like an hour or two drive. Um, I've gotten there, it takes like, obviously you're gonna take a lot of uh, stops and stuff. And then you have to switch to like the actual Metro Link, which is a train train. Mm -hmm. um, but like you can get around LA, you just have to like really, first off, you have to be used to walking. So I already had that foundation from my dad. So I was like, ah, walking's fine. I can do that, no problem. But on the days I'm in pain, I would have to take the Metro to the casting areas, which are very, there's a reason. They are very far from where the Metro is. They put those 100%. casting. And, and so I have to walk that without a cane, which means at that same time, there's also steps to get up into the casting building um, because they have to ring the door and we can let you in the back with the ramp. But I know if I'm the one ringing it, I'm going to get a hard time because yeah. I'm like, why can't you walk up this st these steps? So then because of these barriers, I have never given a really good first time audition because I'm trying to be in character, trying to fight my legs from collapsing, but looking like my shit's together for like three seconds uh, of like an audition. And then I have to walk all of that home yeah. and stuff. And so right. that is like, and, and, and that, that's just like mine. I have a friend who, um, her name's Tatiana Lee. She has spina bifida like me, but she's in a wheelchair. She got an audition. She they looked at her headshot. I don't think they read the rest of her resume. And when she got to the building, there was no ramp. 
And then they turned her away because they didn't realize she was in a wheelchair. So they were like, oh, and they told her manager, oh, well, we don't need to see her then because we thought she wasn't a wheelchair user. So like sometimes they're really bold about it. And then Mm. other days they just do shit that's like secretive of how they like keep us out of there. But then they they want to put disability on screen for like diversity. But then again, it's just one kind. And then I... And then people like us who have other disabilities, my agent has a hard time sending me to stuff because I'm too disabled for abled roles, depending. And then the I told her if it's a wheelchair role, I don't want it. That can go to a wheelchair after. I don't use a wheelchair. I don't need to go to that role. So, but those are the roles being written. And so right. it's, and I know some people are like, well, then write the rules yourself. But and, and I agree for some people like, yes, make your own if you want to see it. But I'm not I'm a writer for like, 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 in real life stuff. I don't like no. I don't like fiction writing. I'm not like a writer for that. No. And I don't, I don't believe I need to be a writer to see it. No, because you're making a more, more of a, a statement on casting. So um, for instance, if the role now, mind you, if the role is suited for somebody who needs to do extensive dancing to a degree that like might even, like I know you said you're, it's not that you can't dance, but let's just say they tell you the extensiveness of it and you're like, I don't think I can. At least they gave you that option to say, we want you, but we want you to know what the role has. Well, but also you could, you could always adjust it. Cause it's right. like the, the, I forgot his name. He's one of the little kids in Stranger Things. Yes. Um, I know he. I, f- I forgot what his disability is, but that character didn't have that disability when it was first written. He auditioned and the director decided, you know what, let's make this character match him. And so yeah. like, these are like, these are things people can do. I think what helps that I rather like than writing is I'm friends with people who do write stuff like, like, uh, like Jenny, Lorenzo and things like she, will make roles that adapt to my disability. And then boom, we have a disabled character and stuff. Right. And, and then I start meeting other people who do the same line of work who aren't the mainstream, which for me is vital because y'all are gonna be the ones who are gonna be making the movies and stuff and actually now know how to accommodate them these people who say they know it all and know how to work with us. Yeah, no, so I mean, who's best for the role? I, I'm, I'm a big advocate for who's best for the role. And I think that like um, writers, directors and casting agents have to understand the role that they're trying to cast. And if you can emote, if you can give me what was, what we were attending to, you know, on the page, then the rest can be adapted, right? Like there's certain things in this world that can't be adapted. I mean, that can be adapt- adapted like, um. If they're like, but she has to be a brunette. Okay, well, I'll dye my hair that color if that's the case. Like, I understand that. Like, maybe there's a reason for that. But I feel like there's so many other ways that Hollywood does adapt, Mm -hmm. um, except for what you're talking about. Because that would then require more, more consideration, more time, more resources. Yeah. Which the thing is, they can absolutely do it. Because, like, one of the funniest to me critiques is... um, that some people say when they cast abled people in disabled roles is like, oh, well, 
they like to bring up uh, Glee with the character Artie, who's in a wheelchair. Uh, Kevin McHale is not disabled. Yeah. And they like to bring up the scene in Glee where it's the safety dance song. And in that song, he's having a fantasy where he gets out of his chair. He does the whole safety dance. And they're like, well, someone who's in a wheelchair can't do that. Firstly, there are Don't ambulatory- Don't scene then. Don't write it, or actually, you should have originally, cat. if you learned about disabled people, ambulatory wheelchair users exist. There are people who can get out of their wheelchairs and dance. Not everyone, it, no one is bound to their chair. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, if we can make, what, what, which Chris is that who played Captain America? The one we like? Evan? Chris Evans. Yeah, if, if they can make Chris Evans look like that scrawny little like string bean with CGI and all of a sudden, now he's buff, they can use that same technology if they cast someone that's in a wheelchair that can't walk, they can use that same technology to I, have him walk. I'm still on the thought of why was it, like, let's just say it is a person who was originally casted who can't do that scene, let's just say. Mm -hmm. Why are you so high strung on needing to write that story? See, that's the thing about writers. That's the thing about imagination. There's multiple versions to a story. There's multiple versions to an episode. So I'm kind of like, if somebody in the room goes, I pitched this, is our app, is our actor capable of that? No, but let's move on. That's, that's it, that's just some, let's move on. What are they, what can we, we are actor, after the pilot, after everything's cast, once you're in it, the show is also about how, who our actors are, what they're bringing to the table. People consider that type of stuff. So that argument is an entire excuse. That's how I look at it. I'm like- Yeah, it, and I think the reason they cast Abled for disabled roles is because they don't wanna hear us critique it because they, usually when it's an, a disabled character, it's rooted in inspiration porn that is supposed to make mm -hmm. other able people feel pity or like, or the disabled person needs help by an abled person. And then other abled are like, wow, like they're such a good person for helping that poor disabled person. But if they hired an actual disabled person for that role, which just is tricky because you most of the time it depends they will say something maybe to be like hey I don't think this is right but then at the same time I don't know if I would also do that and tell a director like because I don't want to get in trouble because I'm not an established actor because but somebody else might that's yeah, the it, problem it, somebody it, else it, might advocate for you because yeah. the experience on set is not just when the cameras are rolling it's also lunch it's also everything else you're dealing with yeah. that other actor so if you see, wait a minute, I'm, you know, I'm working with this person, they're my scene partner, but nothing's really accommodating for them. If they have any type of say in that film, they're the ones who are gonna speak up to the director and then things actually have to change. It, it does get, it does get scary too. Cause it's like, like I had one audition. Um, I didn't have my cane, but this audition, they specifically wanted an influencer. So my manager was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's just try and get you in. And she asked what I did online uh, after I did the audition. And I was like, fuck, I have to tell them I'm disabled because I can't avoid it because that's what I do online. And she said to me, oh, you look so good to have something wrong with you. And I, that's when my audition really started in my head because I had to be like, oh, thank you. You know, like I have really, you know, I had good doctor. Like, I, what the fuck do I say? Because I can't. If I educate her, 
I I didn't get the role, but like I that was the fear of like if I actually say what I would say to anyone else that would tell me this, she might not give me uh this role at all. And like right. that's the that's the fear. And I've told even Jenny that I've had this talk with Jenny too. Sometimes I feel like my activism means that I won't get to do my dreams because I know that I make people uncomfortable checking for checking themselves. And it, it's kind of like, it sucks because all, all I want to do is act. I don't really, like, I don't want to be an activist. It, like, it'd be nice not to be. But then I'm like, well, if I don't do this, then it's going to be just as hard for young disabled people who want to act. And if I don't act ever, fine. But if I can make it easier for someone else to get in the door, then I guess. But I sometimes I feel like my activism is the reason I can't really get roles because at a certain point, it's like, I, I don't want, A, I don't want to struggle, but I don't want to see my disabled peers struggling for the same shit I'm struggling with. Right. It's like you, you're stuck in between duty and desire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Your, your duty to your cause and your desire to just want to live and act and that's your dream. Yeah. Yeah. And express yourself creatively. Um, I know before we go into our last segment of the show, um, I want to give you an opportunity. There was a couple things we want to shout out and we want to plug. So I want to give you an opportunity to go into those things um, and let people know what's going on. Yeah. So um, I'm pulling it up to make sure <laughs> I don't mess up anything. Uh, so I have uh, two friends. Their names are Luna and Jessiel. They are two Black Latin uh, lesbians and because COVID started the Jessiel's immunocompromised and Luna has had to just stop working they lost their job and they're trying to still make ends meet so they're definitely looking for community support and so they have a cash app Venmo or PayPal and all of it is uh, love is lesbian and so if anyone in the community would like to help them out, they they live in LA right now. Um, I would appreciate it because both of them have always been there for me. Uh, like, I love everyone shits on like everyone's all oh, the internet and stuff, but like disabled people and like any people part of the LGBT community, Latinx, we find community online. And they've been such a support system for me before COVID and stuff that I just want to keep like I reshare their thing all the time. I just want to keep it out there that they still need community help because that's definitely like a Latinx thing. Like I, I remember Malandiosa from Locatora said that we always pass around the dollar. It's the same dollar, but we pass it around to everyone in our community because that's what we were grew up, we grew up to do. Yeah. And so if anyone could to help them and, and Luna especially is um, needing uh money for uh, hormones and stuff for hormone therapy and which is vital and life-saving uh if anyone could help that would be very i would appreciate it a lot can you shout out where like they can find them how they can help them um i can share i have it i shared a lot on my twitter which is just my first and last name and then definitely when this goes up i will share it again on my stories if anyone wants to see it i I don't tag them just for safety 
and things because there's there's a lot of people who get mad when we crowdfund for some reason um but i i always reshare it like almost every day so on my profiles you'll be able to find it and then i have uh there's another community leader they're disabled um their name is walea and their instagram is it's walea which is w-a-l-e-l-a they are looking for a stem cell donor. And so if you, I can share it again, it's on their Instagram as well, at It's Walea. They um, have, I believe, I don't know what kind of cancer, but they need a stem cell donor. And apparently, I didn't know this, uh, only like 23% of Black people find an actual match for stem cell donation. And so definitely if you're Black, sign up for be the match.org. Um, you can go to join.bethematch.org slash it's to see if you're a match for them. Um, especially this is crucial because uh, Walea was supposed to have the, they had a match and was supposed to have their stem cell transplant in July and the donor deferred to September, which sometimes happened. September came and the donor still wanted to defer. And so it's obviously very crucial to get, um, like once you get a match to get that right away. Um, so everyone's definitely trying to find a match for Walea or as early as possible. So definitely um, Walea has, has, makes so many great resources and also shares things that has nothing to do with activism and stuff. and. I've, I don't know Walea personally, but I've just learned so much. And since they are part of my community as well, I, it's just important and things. So uh, if and it, that is on their website, uh, on their Instagram, but I will also share the post on my uh, stories too for easier access. Amazing. Um, but if you're disabled, you have to look because um, not everyone can sign up for Be The Match because of like conditions and things. So like I couldn't, do uh, the match, but it's simple. It's just a swab. They send you a swab kit for your cheek and then you just mail it in the pre-envelope and it takes like two seconds to do. Wow. Excellent. Well, uh, our last segment of the show is an advice segment and uh, people write in, they ask us advice on things and we, you know, we give it our best. Um, so <laughs> we will go, I'll read the question, I'll throw it to you and then I'll throw it to Kat and we will uh, help this person, God willing. Uh, yeah, I don't. <laughs> dear Gina, my partner and I have reached a new sexual level of sharing our sexual desires and wants. Oh, okay. It's been amazing and fun. Recently, they share a secret of an, unex an unexplored fart fetish. All right. I'm not sure how I feel about that because it's awkward and I want to make my partner happy, but I'm not completely solid on, uh, sold, not solid, whew, sold on farting in their face as foreplay. What do you think? Well, first of all, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I find farts hilarious. So if I giggle, it's just because I think farts are the funniest thing in the world. I have a, a newborn son while he's, he's three months old. He farts all the time. I laugh every time he farts. It is the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, and he is a monster farter. Um, <laughs> when, when it comes to, I don't know, when it comes to relations between couples, first of all, congratulations on having this discussion because many couples don't even make it to this point, especially being that open to discuss things sexually. Um, 
and being honest. I think the best thing here is for you to be honest with your partner and like let your partner know like, hey, I know that's your thing, but like, I don't know how cool I am with it. Like, obviously you're not saying a hard no already because you're still considering it. You're just not sold on it. And thank, congrats to you for being very open-minded on that. But I would just be honest with your partner on your level of comfort because maybe a compromise can be made. Like maybe just a farting noise is required or maybe just, you know, not farting in the face but farting around the person might be like a, a little flirtatious, like a, hey, I know you're into that. Um, I would just continue exploring the discussion a little bit more before actually diving into something like this. Uh, your honesty is wonderful and amazing and you're already a really communicative couple. So go for it and just, you know, let this person know, let your partner know how you're feeling and then you take it from there. Uh, I'm gonna throw it to you, Andrea. Yeah, I think honestly the same thing. Um, and then maybe talk about like, the concerns because usually some people are apprehensive because they're concerned like I had a partner that I I wanted to eat out his booty I wanted in my head I was like well the prostate is usually where people who have prostates get the best orgasm mm -hmm. and my partner was very the same with me with my nerve damage making sure I had the best orgasm so I wanted to reciprocate my partner was first off said no right away and I was like all right I'll leave it be I brought it up again and I instead was like, so is there, what, what are the underlying like things? Like why, like, it's fine if you still want to say no, just, I want to understand because this is my reasoning for bringing this up um, for your benefit. And for them, it was safety. They didn't know how like to make sure everyone stays safe and things. So I asked them like, okay, I follow a lot of great sex educators that make videos on that of how to be safe, how to make like a dental dam, if that makes you feel better. And we sat and I, we, we ended up never doing it because he ended up being like, no, after it, but we did sit and, and watched resources together. Cause I also didn't know how to do it either. And yeah. so we took it as a time to like learn together and we made our decision, which was fine. Um, but that's definitely like, sit with them and see if there's like, if you have safety concerns and stuff. Um, and like, yeah, take it, I think slowly of just building it up. And then after you feel like you've had both the information, make the decision. And then uh, hopefully if you, if you say no, hopefully your partner is fine with it and you guys can find something else that you both share when it comes to fetish that you guys want to do. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah. great. That's really great. I hope that they can sit down and figure out how to um, make the fetish work or move on, you know? Yeah. yeah. But I love the fact that you were able to sit down with uh, your partner at the time and actually watch videos and educate yourselves. I'm just still waiting open for the to day. it. Yeah. Like, even if, even if they decided, like, against doing it, they were still open to that with you. Like, just the, the, the research, the exploring idea yeah. of it. Yeah, that says a and lot I, about a person. And, and I still want to eat someone's booty at some point, but it just wasn't that one, and that was that's fine. Exactly. I was that's like, the booty that got away. It wasn't that booty. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> it, no, it was. It wasn't the booty that got away. The booty that never was. The booty that never was. The booty that never was. <laughs> an opportunity, booty. Opportunity booty. If anyone would like to donate their booty to my cause, like. <laughs> 
Thank you. Do you guys remember the movie? Do you remember the movie Little Rascals when he's um, dressed up and he goes, you're lost, baby. Like that's. <laughs> can we make a meme just for this podcast that's just like my face oh. on there like, <laughs> that's all <laughs> or if, if you're ever in that situation again and someone else says no please say you're lost baby <laughs> you want to take a stab at this um yes um so i think you know i, I agree with both of you uh the fact that they're at a level of this like comfortability and, and honesty, that's, I, I hate to say rare, but the fact of the matter is that um, I don't think we're encouraged to talk about sex as much as we're encouraged to just do it. Um, so that's awesome, uh, regardless of where you're at, but that does matter. Now, if you're three years into your relationship, very different um, style of communication and very different like trust level, or even experiences together. If you've been only together for six months, that's, very that's also different um i love that six months means that you have this much transparency but still you don't really know this person the way you would years in or whatever the case may be um so being very cautious with the way that you make them feel because the word unexplored is the most important here for me it's the fact that they trusted this in you they have not explored this and who's to say they've even expressed it right maybe they like like with uh, the, the person you were with, maybe they have um, uh, uh, have been asked it before, but just never did it. Or maybe they've asked someone up for, um, for it before, but the person never complied. So since you don't know that, just be careful um, with how you respond or how you approach this the second time around. Compromise, I, I know that sounds weird, but compromises, as you said, Gina, is a discussion thing. Like I had an ex who um, told me it was not sexually, it was just comfort that he liked the way that my underarm smelled, not like in sync, but like just like on a regular day, like on a Saturday morning, I woke up and it doesn't stink, but it had that like natural smell. He liked the way that smelled. So one time he said to me, can I lick your underarm? And I was like, um, can I shower? And he was like, no, I want to, like, it's the, it's the oils, it's your, it's your essence that I want to experience. I felt very uncomfortable, I'm not going to lie, because you yeah. are asking something of your liking, but that has to do with my body that, to me, I just have a thing about, like, wanting to be cleanly and yeah. fresh. So that's me exploring in me, am I comfortable with that? Um, I remember we compromised, um, on like, I was like, okay, you can like sniff it. And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, if it's like fresh, you could sniff it. And he was like, all right, deal. I'm down with that. I just like the scent. He just wanted that. I don't know the odor. That was a compromise. I didn't feel comfortable. I just also don't like the idea of somebody licking me like out of sexual context. I don't like the idea of that, but um, the sniff was my compromise. I was down to understand why he wanted it. He was down to smell it and literally would go, ah, like it, it, it was, it was very interesting to me. Cause I was like, wow, you really like me because I don't even know how I feel about this, you know? Um, but that compromise matters because in that situation, immediately I wanted to say, hell no, like I'm not doing that, but I care about them. And they are also showing a bit of how they feel about you. 
Yeah. Right. Cause that's a natural odor. That's a natural thing to be like, damn. Like I would also question which parts because parts smell, my parts smell different depending on what I'm meeting. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would be like, so if I agree to this, I may, I may decide to only eat fruit that day because I'm like, you know, I know what's happening at the end of this day. I know what I'm putting in my body. I'm just saying those are the things I would think about because I would be like, okay, are we talking like I ate meatballs or are we talking like yeah, I ate Are we talking top diet or are we talking keto diet? Like, what Or are is, there, is there no preference? Because yeah. if you don't have a preference, then can I choose? You see, I'm all about compromise. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I get it. Yes, that's a good compromise, Kat, honestly. I didn't even think about the food thing. Like, you want a broccoli fart? They can be pretty white. Um, <laughs> Andrea, tell people where they can find you. So you can find me on Instagram mostly, which is just my first and last name, Andrea Loso. Uh, I do have stuff on YouTube, but I'm not active really on that platform. Um, I made Instagram mostly it because I get really harassed by men on youtube and youtube does not care for the safety of its creators it so uh i was like done i can't do this anymore uh instagram i still get harassed but like it's not as toxic surprisingly yeah. so you can definitely find me there you can find me on twitter uh same handle but uh i'm very uncensored there and so if you would like uh tweets of me insinuating we guillotine certain elective officials uh that's that's my instagram i'm gonna get i'm telling you if i disappear it's because of that tweet i'm just letting everyone know um i'm a full puerto rican which in the sense of like how the puerto ricans bring the guillotine to the governor's mansion in puerto rico every time they're mad i'm just saying they're on to something not saying we should do it but we're a very subtle people she's like let's just explore the concept Listen, France did it too. And look how, I mean, they're not perfect, but look, they got shit done when they did it to their last king. So just saying. The, well, I can sharpen a knife. I know how to do that. My dad's a Marine. Like, Yeah, <laughs> make it happen. Catherine, tell the lovely people where they can find you. Also Instagram and Twitter on Instagram is at Catherine G. Mendoza. Um, that's K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E G dot m-e-n-d-o-z-a i don't know if there's a dot I, I that's my i'm like i don't know anymore what's <laughs> happening with my life um and then on twitter it is at kathy grace 24 that's at k-a-t-h-i-e-g-r-a-c-e 24 uh you guys know you can find me at g brion on instagram check out the floor is lava my latest special out on amazon uh also specifically speaking my first special ever is on amazon as well or the Hot Comedy Fest, which just dropped last month on HBO. Check that out, because I'm all preggers in that. Looking cute, keep the shoes, they're amazing. Uh, you guys, uh, thank you so much, first of all, for joining us, Andrea. Thank, thank, you. thank you for having me. So wonderful having you on. Guys, make sure that you support those causes that uh, that were mentioned. Head over to Andrea's uh, social media and click those links and definitely support that. Uh, you know, I like to leave you with a piece of advice my mom gives me to this day. When life hands you a lot, handle it one catastrophe at a time. Until next time, people. Deuces. Bye, everybody. Bye, Andrea. Bye. Do it like that. Yeah. You the kind of chick that's ready to fight back. Yeah. Looks damn good, but really she type bad. Mm -hmm. Go to sleep, I call her my nightcap. Night.
born killer. You were born killer. Mm. Go on, get him. Go on, go on, get him. Mm.